0: Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz, and we are just a couple weeks away from the NFL Draft. We've got some news in free agency in the NFC West that I want to talk about, and joining me here to talk about it is Alistair Corp, contributor to Field Goals. Alistair, how you doing?
1: I'm doing well, thank you. I am, uh, yeah, ready to get on with the draft and everything. We're kind of in that awkward stage where, where free agency is in, in just entirely dead, and uh, we're Ready for the draft now, ready to keep this thing going because
0: uh, we have nothing else to do as a society. <laughs> it's, it's true. This just needs to get here. And, you know, it's funny because we're hearing how the NFL is going to try and go about this NFL draft. You know, it's going to be something unlike anything that we have ever seen. And they just have kind of a couple weeks to throw this all together and make sure it works because it was just in this last week that they decided that, hey, All the general managers, all the coaches, they're going to have to find a way to do this from home because a lot of these states that the teams operate in, they have the stay-at-home orders. You know, you can't gather in groups of 10 or more. You always see the NFL war rooms, and they're just packed with guys, and, you know, they're they're not able to space out uh, six feet apart. So the NFL just saying, hey, we're going to find a way for everybody to do this from home. And I just have to imagine there's some teams out there that are probably scrambling, trying to figure out this whole technology piece. And, you know, fortunately, they're doing a dry run with uh, I'm curious if they're just using past year's players or or what they're doing, because obviously nobody wants to give away any secrets of what they might even be considering. But they have to find a way to piece this all together in just a couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, I would be if I was at all in charge of either a team's draft or the technology side of a team, I would be a nervous wreck right now. I mean, even in moments of of absolutely no consequence in my own life, I get nervous like, "Oh no, is my Wi-Fi about to cut out?" right? Well, it wasn't to did this like, "Oh no, what if a car alarm goes outside just as I'm recording a podcast?" And just the the thought that something anything like, you know, all of a sudden your Wi-Fi drops out just as you're about to be on the clock, I would be sweating bullets. Um I don't know how it's going to come together, but I'm sure uh, they're going to throw all the resources behind it. So hopefully it goes off without <laughs> without a bump because it could get really, really bad if it goes poorly.
0: Yeah, it's funny that you bring that up because you know, just as part of my regular job, like, sometimes I organize Adobe Connect meetings and it's like 50 to 100 people and it's just people that I work with. I can't imagine the stress of knowing that it's being broadcast out to millions of people around the country. And essentially, that's what they're trying to throw together here.
1: Yeah, broadcast out like you're communicating everything, you know, you want to make sure... Oh God! Everything that goes into it. I mean, if you're trying to communicate with like a certain area scout right before, it and you're trying to make sure you have the right name, just every single little detail that would be so easy in person gets a thousand times more complicated. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know how certain teams are going to handle it. Uh, at least Seattle's front office is. You know, I think they're going to be on top of it, if nothing else. But other teams will not be as lucky.
0: I don't think. <laughs> I. I. I do. Try and guess at which teams those are. But then I think of teams, I don't know, like the Texans. And I mean, does Bill O'Brien even bother consulting with other guys (laughs) around the office? Or, you know, is he just going to be on the phone just winging it all by himself?
1: that's the thing is, is Bill O'Brien does not need a shoddy internet connection to mess something up. He can, he can do that with all the resources in the world at fingertips and he'll still find a way to, to goof something. That's for sure.
0: Oh man. He just another move by the Texans this week that it's, it's baffling to me. I I see this making sense for the Rams and, and there was a move just within the division this week. Brandon cooks of the Rams traded once again. But this is the first time I think that he's been traded where it hasn't been for a first-round pick. Instead, the Rams get a second-round pick from the Houston Texans, and uh, Brandon Cooks going to the Texans to fill in, I guess, behind DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, it's uh it's just a, a
1: brutal, brutal trade. Uh, something that that Robert May said today was kind of how you know you want to roll out receiver group that has a complete group of skill sets. And now they have Kenny Stills, Will Fuller, Brandon Cooks, who all pretty much do the same thing. And then they have Kiki Kute and Randall Cobb, who also do the same thing. And then you have Duke Johnson and David Johnson, who do the same thing in the backfield. So they essentially (laughs) have seven players doing three roles, and none of them them are as good as DeAndre Hopkins. So it's a brutal, brutal, brutal trade. And uh, my heart hurts for Texans fans. I don't feel strongly one way or another about them, but no fan base deserves that. It's just horrible.
0: This has been kind of rough for me because I do I I sympathize with Texans fans because I've I don't I wouldn't say that they're necessarily like my second favorite team, but I've always liked DeAndre Hopkins. I've always liked J.J. Watt. They've had guys on that team that I've just really liked over the years and to see Bill O'Brien Just absolutely tear everything down. Man, I feel for Deshaun Watson because here's a guy who he had so many pieces around him. Things were looking up. And now, uh, well, I guess I look at maybe the offensive line trade and, and that was fine, although I think they overpaid just to get some protection at tackle last season. But to trade away DeAndre Hopkins, that was just the last piece of it. And then to bring in Brandon cooks, I I feel like for Texans fans, this is just insult to injury because you have bill O'Brien coming out and essentially saying that he wasn't going to pay Deandre Hopkins, uh, what he wanted for a new contract, which even if you talk about paying him top of the market, which is what Hopkins deserves, you know, he's one of the three best receivers in the NFL. So giving him a contract worthy of his performance, that's not all that crazy to to think about, even though he's a couple of years off of uh, uh, he's a couple of years into a, a deal already. But you know, even if you reworked Hopkins' deal, you could have had I don't know fourteen million dollar cap hit on on Hopkins, or maybe even less. I don't know. But Brandon Cooks it's going to be an eight million dollar cap hit for twenty twenty. Randall Cobb a six point one million dollar cap hit for twenty twenty. There's your 14 million right there that you're paying two guys who I would take DeAndre Hopkins over those two guys, especially with if you consider the draft picks that they turned around. And not only that is when you just look at the receivers, but then, like you mentioned, they're bringing in David Johnson to pay him a a cap hit of eleven point one million dollars in 2020. He's the third highest paid player on the team, the second highest paid running back in the NFL and like you mentioned they already have duke johnson they have a d johnson already on the team that does pretty much <laughs> what david johnson does except is I, I don't know less injury prone i mean you can get david johnson production out of duke johnson oh, i mean i think you nailed it in like
1: even last year when you know that everybody was killing bill o'brien for the clowny trade which you know it didn't turn out exactly as awful as far as you know they have the third round pick they theoretically would have gotten as a comp pick they got jacob martin who played pretty well for them in little spurts and you can make the argument that at least all these trades value or like good value or not uh you know there's the idea that he was doing things in the best interest of deshaun watson and doing it to build around deshaun watson you know getting Getting the extra assets to trade for Laramie Tunsil, in theory, was best for Deshaun Watson. In no reality is trading DeAndre Hopkins good for Deshaun Watson. Like, that's just... There's no there's no argument to be made. Um, yeah, David Johnson's absolute shell of himself. Uh, Randall Cobb was pretty much on the way out of the NFL two years ago. Then he did, like, have a decent year in Dallas. But then all of a sudden, you're apparently bidding against nobody to give him $6 million. And it's just a... You know, we see this a lot in the NBA recently where kind of player empowerment, you know, you're seeing, oh my God, you know, Anthony Davis on the market, there's going to get this huge haul. And I'm just waiting for Deshaun Watson to suddenly put in a trade request, you know, demand trade and see what happens. Because if Deshaun Watson goes on the open market, I mean, a team would trade four first round picks for him. Like, not only is it an incredible quarterback, he's got to be one of the most galvanizing forces in the league in terms of, you know, we see it time after time after time. He makes an incredible play out of nothing and you know uh dabo sweeney is horrible says some ridiculous things uh but he also called deshaun watson michael jordan and it's true like he is just this incredible force of nature Mm -hmm. and uh if bill o'brien manages to screw it up at the point where you know cal mcnair has to choose deshaun or bill o'brien i don't know how you can continue to let bill o'brien just tear that franchise down it's it's brutal to watch from afar
0: I think that's what it's going to have to come to for the Texans. Deshaun Watson is going to have to make a power play and say, you know, I want to continue to play for the the city of Houston. And if you're going to keep me around, it's going to be either me or Bill. And hopefully for the sake of Texans fans, they make that move because, uh, you know, if if there are any Texans fans left, I, I see them jumping ship
1: god yeah i mean i can't recommend for anybody listening uh go SB nation's houston texans blog battle red blog just go read through their twitter timeline over the last month and it is just oh my god it's a wander through the wilderness it's heartbreaking uh and i mean there's a little bit of humor in it but um not if you're close to it but I, I recommend giving it a read because yeah that's just it. it gives you a sense of what it would be like to be a texans fan recently
0: yeah, because you know, here you have a team that's gone to the playoffs and competed, a team that was up, you know, what was it, 24 points on the eventual Super Bowl champion, and to see it collapse in that way at the end of the season and then to see this offseason go the way that it has, it, it, it's definitely, you do have to go and just read the comments just to know, it'll make you be, feel a whole lot better about being a Seahawks fan. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. You, <laughs> people are
1: upset because, you know, the Seahawks personnel are, are sitting on their hands. Well, how about the alternative where if they're using both hands to tear the franchise down to the studs? It'd be way worse. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh,
0: just be grateful. I suppose <laughs> it, it could be much, much worse. So. Alistair, I do want to get into the draft. I want to talk some cornerbacks. You did some uh, looking at uh, a few guys in day one, two, and three. And uh, let's do that coming up. But be- before we get there, I'm, I'm curious about another thing that the NFL is going to be doing with the draft. And the NFL came out on Thursday saying that 58 prospects are going to participate virtually in the 2020 draft, you know, they, there's been this talk about, you know, having guys do their, their virtual handshakes with the, uh, with the commissioner. They haven't revealed exactly how these prospects are going to participate. You know, hopefully they have some kind of a uh, way to at least get some reaction shots of these guys with their you know immediate family, I'm sure, and how that's going to be involved. But when they go down this list of 58, I, I can't help, but wonder one thing just with the way that John Schneider and Pete Carroll have drafted in the past. Is there going to be a guy on this list that the Seahawks actually select? Because they're notorious for taking guys that are, you know, beyond the first and maybe even outside of the second round with their first pick overall. And I I just I, I have to wonder if the guy that the Seahawks are gonna take with their first pick is even on this list. Yeah, it's funny
1: you said that because that was actually my initial reaction when you sent me the list before we hopped on here was, oh, geez, I wonder who's on here. And then I was looking, I was like, OK, you know, you got got Josh Jones there. You know, you got a gross matose. like maybe maybe it'll turn out uh, you got. Um, but at the same time, yeah, like you said, who knows, they could go total opposite direction. They may not pick until, you know, the 90s. They might just drop back and drop back and drop back. Yeah, I just keep wondering how it's all going to work because you see it on kind of like path to the draft. Sometimes we'll have guys doing FaceTime interviews, but it's like choppy quality. Like I, you have to think that there's going to be kind of a better way of doing it. But then is there a situation where, you know, the Seahawks come out of left field in the first round, early second round, they take somebody that's not there. Are they able to get that person like quickly connected and talk to them anyway? Uh, is this a firm list? It's it's. Uh, I don't think anybody knows what to expect and it's going to make for... I mean, painful viewing because it's going to be without substance, but also fascinating viewing to see kind of how they, how they adjust on the fly.
0: And I, I have some questions about this list and I'm sure you do too, Alistair, especially when you look down this list and you see Thaddeus Moss, the tight end from LSU uh, top 58 <laughs> player in the draft. Eh. Was, uh,
1: <laughs> that's the thing is people think that Thaddeus Moss is going to be even like a around three, round four pick because his dad is Randy Moss. Like, he could not be a less exciting prospect outside of his name, and uh, you want to know why he's on this list for the shot of him and Randy hugging after he gets selected. Like, there's no, <laughs> there's no other reason besides it. But yeah, that was uh, I saw that it was uh, oh golly, it's it's the thing where you know he's going to get drafted, and the fan who kind of pays you know like forty percent attention. The the months where they're not playing is going to think, oh man, we got Randy Moss's son, you know, Uh he is on the draft. Oh my gosh, he's going to be a stud, and then cut in training camp, (laughs) it's going to be bad.
0: Yeah, that's uh, and, and who knows, maybe that reaction shot doesn't come until day three of the draft. But, you know, let's let's take a quick break, Alistair. Let's come back and let's talk about some cornerbacks that you have the Seahawks looking at uh, potentially late in the draft because we know, as Pete Carroll and, and John Schneider have picked in the past, not the type of team that tends to select defensive backs, let alone cornerbacks in those early rounds so let's take a break we'll come back and take a look at some of the corners that the seahawks might be considering in the draft coming up joined by alistair corp of field goals and we are talking nfl draft and talking cornerbacks alistair you wrote an article here for field goals just this week talking about corners and there's there's one guy that i'm really intrigued by because you had your 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 Seahawks draft board that you put together the the Google spreadsheet, and I think we talked about it last time you were on. And one of the guys that wasn't on this list that is now on this list is Madre Harper of Southern Illinois. And gosh, when I look at the measurables that this guy has, yes, he's from Southern Illinois, which is an FCS school, you know, below the the bowl championship teams. But he was actually a guy who played for. Oklahoma State before ending up at Southern Illinois.
1: Yeah, exactly. And he was kind of on that uh, recruitment circuit as well. Um, you know, he kind of went to like the opening, the big tournament that Nike puts on and everything. Like he's very much kind of, uh, teams aren't going to be caught off guard by him by any stretch. Uh, but yeah, kind of dismissed from Oklahoma State, went to uh, Southern Illinois and, you know, he, he performed quite well. And then, uh, yeah, came back to Oklahoma State for the pro day and he he performed extremely well. Um, so if he wasn't already kind of pr- a prominent name for day three, uh, as far as cornerbacks go, that are kind of in that Seahawks mold absolutely should be there now because, yeah, he, he checks all the boxes and uh, he's he's the kind of prospect who sometimes you'll see Pete Carroll in those like press conferences they do after the one night of picks is over where Pete's just like noticeably excited talking with the person. And he's exactly that kind of prospect who's like enthusiasm and, and gratefulness. It'll it'll have like infected Pete when Pete's talking about him. You'll see like a glow and an excitement in his voice. And it'll be, they're going to fall in love with the kid, I think. Um, I think he's probably the cornerback that I suspect they'll draft the most or or the cornerback who makes the most sense, Mm -hmm. um, whether it falls that way or not. But yeah, I don't think there's any reason to think
0: that they're not interested in him. And I have to think that he absolutely is on the Seahawks radar because, you know, not only does he fit in terms of all the measurables, but he was a guy who played with Trey Flowers at Oklahoma State yeah exactly uh flowers and chris
1: carson even um yeah. and so yeah i think uh yeah they'll be they'll have been well aware of him for for a couple of years and uh yeah they're they're at the uh oklahoma state pro day talked to him there uh kind of alonzo highsmith was there who you know he's he's in a role as a consultant but him and john schneider kind of came up together in that green bay ron wolf uh school um and so it's not like you know it's just an area go there that's like a trusted trusted lieutenant so uh yeah i think they'll they'll have done their due diligence and uh I think they'll be they'll be excited about the, about the prospect
0: whether they land him or not. Well, another small school guy that you have on your list, and I I don't know where Stony Brook is. I've never heard of Gavin Heslip, but uh, another player who you mentioned wasn't invited to the combine, uh, but a guy who was uh, at a pro day, and the Seahawks were there to check him out.
1: I think Stony Brook is in upstate New York. Could okay. be wrong. I think I think that's the case. But yeah, another one, and and it was. Crucial to have guys like Heslop, Harper, um, also Ray Buford from New Mexico State. Where uh, coming out of the combine, there is almost like no names at outside corner. You know, I think when we went over this about a month ago, it was it was five players, and all of them were really uninspiring. Like Lamar Jackson, Nebraska was probably the most exciting name there, and he had had just a horrible pre-draft process. To so to have these guys kind of start to fill it out, um, and Heslop's another one who you know he tested really really well. He has the kind of the size requirements, and he produced at Stony Brook, which is the biggest thing. Like, there's nothing worse than than seeing your team draft a guy from the FCS, and then looking into it, and you're like, oh, he was like fine at FCS levels. No, no, no. Guy like Harper, guy like Eslop, like they they were some of the best players on the field consistently at a smaller level, and uh, that's what you want to see. So that that's really exciting, uh, and it's just crucial to see that that three cornerback group kind of fill out because. I think it's best for them to try to find another developmental player. And, and now they kind of have a couple more options to choose from. Whereas, you know, uh, a month ago, at least from where we were viewing, uh, it wasn't great.
0: But now it's starting to get a little bit better. Yeah, a month ago, there was four names, four names on that list. And one of those guys is still uh, on your kind of watch list for day three. Michael Ajay out of Iowa. And uh, what what do you like about Ajay Badia's game?
1: Yeah, I think for me, he's kind of, uh, the way that I, I framed it is he's kind of the farthest along in his development, uh, and he's probably the best of that group right now, um, but uh, that also just means that he's closest to his ceiling. At least at least in my opinion, I think he's almost kind of reached his ceiling, which isn't all that great. In terms of fit with Seattle, he, he, it works really well. You know, he is... Uh, he doesn't really seem to have an issue with kind of allowing this is not great for a cornerback when it's just said aloud. But okay, like he doesn't really have a problem with just allowing cheap completions over the middle. But that's exactly what the Seahawks defense is. That's why, like, anytime you want to look at, oh, you know, Trey Flowers gave up 83 yards today, it's like, okay, but like, you know, if, if 75 is coming before the catch, then he's done his job pretty well because he's he's staying on top of guys, he's staying in position. Mm-hmm. And that's what he does really well. But I also just think, yeah, he's close to a ceiling and I have a hard time thinking that he'll be anything better than just kind of a league average corner. Whereas, you know, a guy like Harper, a guy like Heslop, you're betting on the traits and you're betting on the person and they have the traits to be a high-level starter, you know? Um, I think, you know, you can't compare everybody to Richard Sherman, but if they can get to a place where, you know, Byron Maxwell was right before he signed that contract in Philly where you come in as a sixth-round pick and your traits, your size, everything uh, translates perfectly to the Seahawks system, and then all of a sudden you become really, really good corner. I think that's what you'd be getting with a couple of the other guys. Ojemudia, I think you're kind of getting more just like a, a league average passable corner, which they don't, just don't really need right now. You know, they have three quality corners. I don't think they need to kind of try to find a plug and play guy. I think I'd rather just see them kind of gamble on upside with the system, get them near P and see what, what they can kind of teach them and see how far along they can get in their development before, before either Dunbar or Griffin presumably
0: leaves after the next uh, after next season. Well, and, you know, it's with the Seahawks, it's kind of you're in that situation where, you know, a lot of teams look at guys with the situation that Todd Gurley was in and, uh, and with David Johnson. And you say never pay a running back on a second contract. But with the Seahawks, gosh, you almost say don't pay a cornerback a second deal for the Seahawks because Pete Carroll's been able to do a pretty good job at developing guys and and finding guys who can come in, whether it was playing opposite Richard Sherman or ultimately replacing Richard Sherman. They've been able to find guys and have players of the caliber that are at least able to play at the NFL level and, you know, not having to go out and invest first round draft picks or a large amount of capital on on big name players.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the, the draft capital is especially the part of that where, you know, I uh, still see kind of people that are advocating for them to kind of go after a guy like Diggs or a guy after like Bryce Hall early on in the draft. It's just like, I just don't see see the point in that. Like, they've proven time and time again to re- get really good value, you know, looking at cornerbacks either late day two or anytime really like throughout day three. And I just, it, it would just be a poor, poor use of resources to go spend an early pick on one when you know that you can get solid starters later on in the draft. And not only that, but guys who are kind of uniquely crafted to fit the Seahawks system. Like you, you can't drop Madre Harper into any old defense and have him like develop into something good. You drop him into Seattle, and and I feel pretty comfortable him developing into a good starter because the coaching would be just right, and the situation would be just right for both like the team and the player. And that that's really encouraging because. You know, it's nice to just like think about the the productive player in college or or the big name, but situations so important on both sides of the coin, and uh, I think they kind of have that with, with Harper, and less so with some of the
0: uh, one some of the uh, kind of earlier in the draft guys. All right, Alistair. Well, before we get on out of here for this episode, I, I want to recognize one of our field goals commenters because uh, he's got just an outstanding username, Et's Dreadlocks. Uh, one of my favorite usernames uh, in the field goals comment section. He lists six players. At safety, kind of looking for that Trey Flowers mold of a safety to potential cornerback convert. Uh, One of the guys that he listed is Cameron Curl, a safety at Arkansas, 6'1, 206 pounds, fits the arm length measurements, over 32 inch arms. And you kind of liked him as a potential safety to cornerback convert yeah you
1: usually kind of every year once once the uh the combine everything's settled i, I try to go through all the safeties and see like again you know the 32 inch arms and then kind of dive a little bit deeper and kind of put him aside but a guy like curl it makes a lot of sense um in he's similar to Trey flowers and like that you kind of start looking into him and you're like oh yeah this guy is obviously a really good candidate to, to switch to cornerback um similar to flowers again he's just kind of I don't even know if you'd stick. Okay. You'd probably stick in the NFL as a safety, but it'd be kind of as a special teamer. Whereas I think he could develop into a pretty solid starting corner. Um, you know, I, I, can't remember where I saw it sometime early in the spring. I saw that. I thought he had, he preferred playing corner. Um, that's where he played as a freshman, if I remember correctly, that's where he prefers to play, but his biggest strengths kind of as a safety is his size and then his fluidity, uh, in terms of like his movements in space, that's a really good foundation for a player to move to corner. And you know, if he, if he's, partial to playing and then that's awesome you know um something that was really exciting about flowers was in his first training camp i remember pete constantly talking about how uh he had he had roomed trey flowers and shakim griffin together for the rookies and so then when shaquille was like hanging out with shakim then trey flowers could just pick his brain and pick his brain and pick his brain and that seemed to instill a lot of confidence in pete that like okay this guy's taken the position and he's gonna learn everything he can in the time he can and that's kind of why they started to to lean towards starting him and if curl comes in with a similar mindset then that that's really exciting because you know, it's one thing to want to switch a guy to, to to corner, but the person needs to do it as well. Um, so he's got kind of he's he's not as he's not like wiry like Trey Flowers. He's kind of built more like a Deshaun Shedd or or a Mike Tyson, hmm. um, in terms of kind of a little bit bulkier, a little bit bigger. And that that's okay. They haven't like shied away from that. Um, but as far as kind of like how he would make the switch, I just I really like his length. You know, I think he probably among the corners we have lists on the draft board, he'd probably come in at the second or third longest arms. I think it was 32 and five eighths, but yeah and then he's he just he's really comfortable in space. Uh he doesn't really do anything for me playing safety, but you kind of see the little individual traits and you think like he he could definitely switch to corner and if it's something that he's he's open to, uh it's going to be another avenue to explore and and going back to it like there's just such a small group of corners from the issues from on day 3 where if they can see, you know, a corner that they like then that's great. And then again, uh he's another guy that you know they were at Arkansas's pro day um, you, you know, that area school have done their due diligence. They'll have an idea of, you know, if he does want to play the position, um, if he's coachable, kind of all those things where, you know, we're not privy to any of that information. And they'll have a lot more knowledge of it, um, which is I'm sure is why they're so confident in Flowers being able to play the position and why they may or may not be confident in Curl being able to do the same.
0: Well, Alistair, really want to thank you for coming on, breaking down the corners, talking a little bit of free agency and uh, coming up. Well, people are going to be able to check out your stuff. You already have plenty of articles looking at some of these guys. But uh, coming up on uh, next episode, we'll we'll do a part two of this, Alistair, and we'll look at some guys on the offensive line. Also look at the tight ends as well. So looking forward to doing that. Uh, make sure to follow Alistair on Twitter by Alistair Corp. Subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already by going to sbnation.com slash NFL podcasts. And be sure to tune in to part two coming up, talking O-line and talking tight ends. And until then, go Hawks.